Unfiltered by Jade. Jade. Welcome to the Unfiltered by Jade, where we get out of the box and dive into topics that are sidelined. I look forward to entertain, educate, and inspire. Feel free to like, share, subscribe, donate, and make everybody know about it. Beats by RB Records. Shopping assistance, your style, your budget. Our services include online and local shopping for individuals and businesses, personal shopping, purchasing of company and office supplies, importing and exporting small packages across Jamaica and worldwide, and helping you find unique gifts and items for all events and occasions. Contact us at 876-919-5195 or shoppingassistance2015 at gmail.com. Shopping Assistance, your style, your budget. Welcome back to the Unfiltered by Jade. Today we have with us Deonda Taylor. And she is a substance abuse therapist at New Horizon Counseling Center, and she's a licensed master's social worker. Hi, Tianda. Hi, Jade. How are you? I am doing great. And how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for asking. Nice. So we're going to have a great conversation today. And I already I already like the vibe I'm feeling from you. Yes, so. So I know this is going to be a good conversation. So for those who don't know, what is substance abuse? So substance abuse is when someone uses any sort of illegal drugs, alcohol, over-the-counter, or prescription drugs for purposes other than what they're actually supposed to be used for. So, um, And it also can be substance abuse when you're using anything in excessive and large amounts. Mm, okay, okay. So like if I smoke one time a day or so, or I drink once a day, every day. Is that substance abuse? So that can definitely be like a tricky question. To me, it can be considered a gray area because I know some people, they may not feel like or seem like, you know, once a day is a lot, but I honestly believe that it varies from person to person. And it's important to take note of how much is consumed during that one time a day. So that once a day um, that someone is, Drinking, for instance, how much are they drinking? Are they drinking like a whole bottle of vodka? Are they drinking just like a, like, you know, so that, that varies as well. And that's something that we have to keep in mind. And then also, also too, I think that um, another thing to keep in mind is thinking about why someone chooses to drink and smoke. So is it to alleviate stress? Is that their idea of using positive coping skills? Is it done socially? These are some things to think about, um, even if it's once a day. So portions matter. Yes, portions definitely matter. So what I'm all right. So the question came about because we have heard before some people saying, "Oh, I drink one glass of red wine a day," mm-hmm. you know, and it's to relax them after a long, stressful day. And I'm like, hmm, but if you're drinking one glass a day every day, are you going overboard with it? 
Right, too. And and I've heard that as well. I've heard that many people, you know, they drink that one glass of wine and it can definitely be a great area because, you know, and, and it, it, I know it's hard, but I, I really believe that it varies from person to person because okay. some people, you know, believe that, you know, if they're the one glass of wine, yeah, it may not do any damage to their bodies. It may not do any damage to them mentally. It may not um, affect their, their overall functioning or anything like that. But at the same time, I also believe that along with how much they drink, it's also very important to think about why are you drinking? So are you having that one glass of wine because you had a stressful day at work? Are you having that one glass of wine because you just came home and the kids are driving you crazy? <laughs> you know, um, are you having, because that opens up a whole new door because it makes you realize like, Hey, I'm drinking this one glass of wine, not because it's just like I'm watching a nice movie or I'm trying to unwind. I'm drinking it because this is the only thing that helps me with my stress. And that's when it becomes a huge problem. Understood. Got that. So the reason behind it is important. That's what you're saying. All right. So, so, so think, thinking about that, is there a difference between like drug abuse and substance abuse? So substance abuse Honestly, um, it includes drug abuse. So drug abuse is under the umbrella of substance abuse. Okay. Any form of abuse can lead to addiction and cause problems in any um, other areas of one's life. Yes. So I think that's important to take notice. But drug abuse is a part of substance abuse. So it's like, you know, all in the same family. Okay, okay. Um, then are all drugs addictive? So, very good uh. question. <laughs> I love the question. <laughs> so... You know, all drugs may not start out as addictive, um, but some can become addictive over time, especially if taken in in excessive amounts or not as prescribed by your doctor. So I have an example. So I'm pretty sure you and many others have heard of Oxycontin, Oxycontin, Mm -hmm. uh, which is an opioid and is usually prescribed for pain management. Mm -hmm. So that's usually given to you after procedure, surgery, things like that to help you with some sort of pain. Now, some people dislike the negative side effects and I, I hear some people refuse to take it because they know how addictive it can be. But other people, they like the effects of the rush of the dopamine release and will want to keep seeking out that same feeling. So once they take the, um, the oxycodone, it, it's supposed to originally be for pain. Uh But they take in and once they get that nice rush, that arousal, that goal-directed behavior rush that causes them to like, you know, feel good, uh, they want to continue to take it. And that's when it can become addictive. So all drugs may not start out as addictive, but of course, taking it in excessive amounts um, and also, of course, going back to the reason why you're taking it, that's when, you know, addictive behaviors and patterns can start to develop. Persons like myself who sometimes have insomnia and cannot sleep and we decide... That we want to take a sedative, right. like a DPH, or so it's over the counter and you take it. So we us taking it every night, and I'm not saying I do, but I'm just saying <laughs> for persons who take it every night to fall asleep, is it an addiction? No, because they can say, well, I go to the doctor and they give me this medication to take to sleep on the night. It's the same thing. Right. So... I see what you're saying. Because I know a lot of people, like, for instance, they take, like, melatonin to help them sleep. And different Listen. Other yes. So I feel like, you know, as also a great area. Because it can be, it can become addictive. Like you said, if anything that you're relying on to do something, I would consider that as an addiction. You know? But at the same time, if you're taking it as prescribed, so if the bottle says you take one a night as needed or something like that, you're taking it as prescribed, that's very important to highlight. But, of course, if you're... something that can cross over into the addiction area is if it's saying you're taking one at 
one a night and you've been taking it one a night, but you see that one a night is not doing it for you anymore. Now you're going to two a night. You know, mm. that can also be something to consider as well, because now it's like, one, you're not taking it as prescribed. And two, you can obviously see that it's becoming addictive because without this medication, um, it's going to be hard for you to sleep. So I think that those are things, it varies from person to person, and it's things to watch out for and to be mindful of if you're becoming completely relying on it. You know, um, that can be that can be addic- addictive. But at the same time, there are also medications in general that are prescribed by your doctor for various reasons, health reasons and stuff like that. And if you have to take it to make sure that you're in good health or to make sure that, you know, you're functioning properly or the organs and, and systems in your body is functioning properly, then obviously you have to take it. We want to make sure everyone is in good health. But certain things that's regulating your overall functioning, I would definitely suggest to just be on the lookout for that. Um, because they can definitely become addictive. Mm-hmm. So then prescription drugs are safe once taken in context. Yes, once taken in context. And of course, like, you know, with any kind of drugs, there may be side effects. And if there are any negative side effects, um, I will always suggest consulting with your doctor, you know, with okay. any and everything. So, but yeah, I feel like they can be safe as long as taken in context. But, you know, also be mindful because you know your body and you know yourself better than anyone else. So mm-hmm. you'll start to see like, okay, I'm taking this a little too often, or I feel like I'm starting not to be able to sleep at all without taking it. Let me talk to my doctor about this to see if something else can be done or to see if this is a problem. Nice. So, okay, those family history or genetics then determine if you can or will become addicted to substances later on. So I believe that, yes, yes for both. I feel like sometimes that can be one of the main determining factors. A person's environment, behavior, their influences, as well as genetics, they all play a key role. So for example, family history, that family history, especially um, growing up as a child, that's a lot of learned behavior, model behavior, you're observing a lot. So for instance, if a young child sees that every night his parents or his mom or his dad or her mom or her dad, they come home every night and they have a, they, they're drinking, they're just drinking or they invite friends over and they're drinking or they're stressed out and they take a drink or they're smoking, um, things like that, that can, to them, they can look at that as normal behavior. Like, you know what? When I grew up, I watched my mom or my dad or both drink alcohol or use drugs to make them feel better. Or they did it every night when they came home from work. So when they start to grow up, sometimes they can be like, okay, my parents did it, so it's okay for me to do it. That was their way of coping with their stress. That was their way of unwinding after work. So that's fine um, for me to do it. And, you know, kids are very impressionable. So, you know, anything that you do, they're watching they're watching and they're mm-hmm. looking and they're observing. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing it and, and you're growing up around it, that can have a huge impact on how you view certain things, specifically drugs and alcohol as you get older. You don't view it as a bad thing. You view it as a way of getting through the day. You, you, you view it as a way of ending your night, things like that. Um, and as far as genetics go, um, a specific research from the National Library of Medicine is stated that it was found that the numbers and types of receptors in people's brains, how quickly their bodies metabolize drugs, and how well they respond to medications, that they that all plays a role in substance abuse as well. So along with family history, um, a history of, you know, your family using and genetics, that I feel like they all play a role and they're all are equally as important to each other. Nice. Is substance abuse a, a psychosocial issue? 
It most definitely is. Um, substance abuse is a psychosocial issue because it can cause harmful patterns of use. It can cause psychological issues. Um, it can hinder the way someone is able to fully function, whether at school or work. Um, it can hinder them from maintaining and stabilizing their relationships, whether with family or friends. So substance abuse, it can affect all areas of your life. It can affect your, your work life, your home life. It can affect your, the way you process things, your emotions. It can affect the way you handle um, certain situations. It can affect how you maintain and establish relationships. It definitely can affect all areas of your life. So I would definitely consider it a psychosocial issue for sure. We're speaking about, um, I'm going back to the whole um, family history or genetics. Yes. So we, we have seen people grow up in families that don't practice using substances. They don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't do anything. And then right. yet still we have kids drinking and smoking. So I'm wondering, is it the external factors, which is friends, school, you know, parties that cause that? Because even though you don't grow up seeing it, you start doing it because you probably go out of the house and seeing it happen. So that impact seemed to have more, it, well, that outside influence seemed to have more impact than actually how you were actually grown in some sense. Yes, you are 100% right. And that's something that I see on a day-to-day basis at my agency, the agency that I work for, because I have a lot of adolescent clients. And some of them, I meet their parents, I, I learn about their family history, and I come to find out that they are not around drugs and alcohol. They didn't grow up around it. Their parents are completely against it. You know, so it's definitely the external factors at school, the peers mm-hmm. they hang around. Mm-hmm. neighborhoods, things that they watch on TV, things that they hear on the radio, you know, things that's um, they're trying to normalize, trying to be accepted. And also a lot of peer pressure as well, you know? Yeah. So it's, you're a hundred percent right about that. A lot of external factors play a huge role in that. And I've had some parents come to me like Tianda, like, I don't, I've never exposed my child to drugs and alcohol. Where did they get this from? And then they come to find out at school, you know, they're being peer pressured mm, yes. or they find out that their friends are using and they want to be, they want to fit in with the cool crowd, you yes. know, they be yes. amongst popular kids. So mm-hmm. they're doing it to fit in. They're doing it. Sometimes they find out that, you know, it's now, because they start doing it with friends, they, they saying that it helps them sleep. It's helping them eat, you know? So it's leading into other things. Or when they go to a party, I can't not use when all of my friends are drinking and smoking and I'm just standing in the corner. How am I going to look? Yeah. So a lot of external factors definitely play a huge role in that. And that's a very important point to highlight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How can, how can substance abuse be prevented? So I know this sounds super cliche, but when I think about how it can be prevented, I always say people, places, and things. Who are the people you hanging out with? Where are the places that you're going? And what are the things that you're around? Because those play a huge role into how it can be prevented and avoided. So along with that, I would say knowing your triggers and utilizing your positive coping skills. So knowing what triggers you or what can trigger you to want to relapse or to want to drink and smoke, whether it's around being around certain friend groups, whether it's around being in high stressful situations, things like that can be huge triggers. And if you know that, what are some things that you can do to avoid that? Okay. So I know that my friends, they always go to the bar this weekend. I still want my friends to be my friends, but maybe on the weekends, I don't hang out with them. I just see them at school, things like that. Um, another thing that you can use is accountability partners. I'm Uh huge on accountability partners because even when you feel like you don't have your own willpower to say no or to stop or to avoid using your family, your friends, people that will keep you grounded and level-headed people that know your struggle and are supportive in your recovery goals, they will help you through this journey. 
So accountability partner is helpful. And I would also say that connecting yourself to resources, whether it's a treatment program, a therapist, whether it's AA or NA meetings, all of those things are very important and can help with your recovery process as well. And just your journey to making sure that you maintain your sobriety. Nice. And I know, I know you were saying in terms of even friendships, you know, you may separate it and say, okay, I won't hang out with them um, on the weekends, just, just during the week. But the thing is, my concern for that is, we may not hang out on the weekends, but in the week you can still influence me as much. Very true. Very true. And that, and that, so you made a great point and that's very true. So for, for instance, if a teenager, they know that their friends, they party on the weekends, they or they all go over to one person's house and they go to the park and drink and smoke. So during the week, um, uh, a realistic goal for that teenager would be, okay, on the weekends, you stay away from them so that, you know, you're not influenced to drink and smoke. But if you do, if you aren't strong enough to let the friendship go right away, because you do have to meet them where they're at, you can see them in school at classes. So, you know, that's what I mean. Not in a way where they can influence them to, um, use or anything like that. And then if it gets to the point where conversations are still happening, like, Hey, let's go use, Hey, let's, then that's, an, that's when we circle back against uh-huh. the Hey, maybe this friend group is not the friend group for you, you know? So there's definitely steps that I feel like it's very important to like, just meet them where they're at and see mm-hmm. what goals can be um, reached because the people, places, and things play a huge role in preventing huge. any type of um, substance abuse. Huge, huge, huge. That's a good point also. Yeah. How can family and friends help with someone dealing with substance abuse? So I know firsthand um, that this can be very, very hard. Um, I, I can only imagine, especially with like, you know, parents that see that their child is using or, you know, family members that see that, you know, they had, you know, um, this individual, they were doing so well in life and then something happened. They took a turn for the worse. I know it can be extremely hard mm-hmm. you know, to do that. So some of the things that I would suggest would one, first and foremost, become educated because how can you help someone without getting the knowledge yourself? Yes. So becoming educated is super important. And whether that's attending workshops, conferences, um, connecting yourself with a family support navigator, there are so many different things and options that one can do to help with this process. The next thing I would suggest, and this is not in any particular order. These are just some things that I have in mind. Sure. Um, the next thing would be just getting the support and counsel- counseling that you may need um, and just taking care of yourself in the process, because that's super important. How can you help someone else if you're not making sure that you're not neglecting yourself during the process? You know, so I feel like making sure that you're getting the support that you need during this journey, because there may be some good days where you feel like your help is helping your loved one. But then the times when your loved one isn't receptive to your feedback or receptive to your support, that may take an emotional toll on you. And you have to make sure that you're being supported as well. Because you might start end up drinking because you're so stressed. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You are. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Exactly. Then, after, then afterwards both of you need help avoid oh my goodness <laughs> listen it's so important it's so important yeah. Um, yeah. To, to ensure that if we're helping people we also have the help because exactly, exactly. <laughs> yes you know 
And then um, I will also say a huge one is to not enable them. So say, for instance, if, you know, you say, for instance, like you see that your loved one, they have a severe alcohol or drug problem, but you just drink, like we mentioned earlier about the example of the red wine. I drink red wine once or twice a week. But them seeing you drink the red wine, that may trigger them to want to drink. So you have to be mindful of not enabling them, you know? Not enable them to do things. So watching what you do, watching what you say, watching how, you know, you're supporting them, watching, you know, just watching different things so that they are not becoming enabled. And then the only other thing, and I kind of mentioned it when we spoke about the last um, question that you asked me, be impatient by having realistic expectations and goals. And I feel like this is so important. And I find that when you have loved ones trying to help their loved ones um, with substance abuse, this is so hard for them to, to do. Um, it's hard for them to be patient and have realistic expectations and goals. And understandably, don't get me wrong, I can completely understand because sometimes in your mind, it's like, why can't you just stop? Exactly. But, and for that person that's struggling with that alcohol or drug addiction, it's so hard for them to just stop. It's more than them just stopping. It's a process. And I feel like having realistic expectations and goals. So for instance, if your loved one is drinking five days a week heavily, start off with something like, okay, so I know that it may be hard for you to go cold turkey. How about we cut out one day for now? Instead of five days, let's go to four days. Something like that. That's just a quick example, but there are so many different other ways where you can have realistic expectation and goals so that you're making sure that you're still being supportive of them while still not pushing them them away so that they can have the best recovery outcome possible. You know, so I think that that's a huge one. And, um, you know, and of course, there probably are many, many other things that one can do, but I think those are some of the main ones that I specifically emphasize to my clients um, and to anyone that I may come in contact with that are either, you know, struggling with the addiction or have a loved one that's struggling with an addiction. Suppose I don't want to be helped. Yeah. And that's something that I come across a lot as well. You know, there are people that don't want to be helped, um, no matter how much it's affecting them mentally, emotionally, um, physically, you know, cause don't, let's not forget about the physical health. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and sometimes I always say, you know, you can and like I'm pretty sure you've heard it and many other people heard it. It's it's a saying. You can bring the horse to the water, but you can't oh, make him drink. Can't make it drink. Can't make him drink. So as long as you're doing everything that you possibly can, it's really up to them to wanna do it and make that change for them for their lives themselves. You know, because you can only do what you can do. And I know that's so hard to accept and so hard to hear, but it really is the harsh reality of many situations, you know? And of course, it's not saying that you're going to give up on, on them. It's not saying that their situation will never get better. But at the same time, you know, you have to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't burn yourself out and stress yourself out, you know, trying to change them when they're not willing to put in the work to change themselves. You I like know? that. Yeah. I like that. So, Tiana, where is it that we can find you? So <laughs> I'm working on getting, you know, my own, my own formal platform together. But right mm-hmm. now I can be found two places, Instagram and Facebook. Um, my Instagram, it can be at underscore Tianda Chantel. So at underscore T-Y-A-N-D-A-S-H-A-N-T-E-L-L. And then my Facebook is Tianda S. Taylor, T-Y-A-N-D-A-S-T-A-Y-L-O-R. Um, and then, I'm like I said, I'm also getting my own things together, my own other platforms together where, you know, I'll be available. But if 
you know, any help or um, networks is becomes of interest, you know, those are the two places that you can find me right now. And of course, like you mentioned in the beginning, I do work at New Horizon Counseling Center, you know, um, it's an outpatient substance abuse clinic. So if anyone needs support or help, we're always open to having new clients as well. Very nice. I enjoyed having you. Thank you. It's an honor and a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for considering me. And I just enjoy talking with you today. <laughs> yes. I, I really enjoyed it. And I mean, I, I be, I'm believing that persons will listen to this and get the help that they need. And even if it's not for them, it's for family members. Exactly. Um, and and taking out of this, we have to, and I have stressed this on almost all my podcasts, please let us be patient with dealing with persons. Yes. Yes. And that's so important. And of course, because like I'm in the mental health profession, people may look at it as like, it's easy for you to say, this is what you were trained for. You know, um, but that's why it's important. If you feel like you don't have the patience to deal with it, get your loved one the help that they need and also get yourself the help that you need as well. Just just, just, just learn to be patient with people. Yeah. Um, change, change doesn't come overnight. It's something that I've learned. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it doesn't come overnight. It takes stages. So be patient with them. If, if it is that you need your help also, get help for yourself before yes. you even deal with them. And important, as, as, as Tiana, Tiana said earlier, learn to... Learn about it. Yes. Read about it. Get the yes. knowledge about it so that you can better help. It, you don't want to go and learn how to catch a fish without even knowing how to go in the water, what yep. to do, the stuff you need, the tools you need to use. Exactly. So reading is paramount. It's important. It's, it's super paramount, paramount. And it helps to bring awareness, to spread awareness, and to let everyone know that. Because sometimes I know in situations like this, one may feel like they're alone. Like, I'm mm-hmm. the only as a loved one who's dealing with this, or I'm the only one who's dealing with this. You are not alone. So that's why it's so important to connect yourself with people and resources to assure you of that, because you are not alone. And there, are, there is help out there. There are people out there that's willing to meet you where you are and to just support you in any way that you need to be supported in. Fabulous. And she ended it on a great note. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you again so much, guys, for listening to The Unfiltered by Jade. And we'll be back next week, Tuesday. Thank you. Oh, 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 o